It is great having Sammy Maremi with us this morning. Uh, Sammy has been an important part of our congregation and our community here in Kansas for, for a very long time. And Sammy is a man who, honestly, I truly appreciate. Uh, he has been a huge help to me. Sammy and I were talking about this just the other day, and I was, I was actually kind of surprised he remembered it. It, you know, it meant a lot to me that he did remember. But about 20 years ago, um, my family and I, we were going through a very difficult time. We were, we were very young, and it was our first ministry, our first full-time ministry. And we were really struggling at this church. It was a, it was a difficult place. There was lots of conflict and very little communication in the church that, that we were at. And, and I was feeling the strain. I mean, it was, it was just horrible. It was just day in and day out awful. And uh, I needed someone to talk to. And so I came to Kansas, and I walked into the old uh, ministry office, the house that used to be across the way there, and the only one there was Sammy. And we hadn't really spent any time together, and I just poured it out and let him know what I was going through, let him know what I was feeling and just how discouraged I was. And I have no idea what you told me that day. I remember we prayed together. Um, but what he did for me that day was to affirm, no, you're not a failure. You know, you're, you're doing what you're called to do. You're doing what you're supposed to do. He affirmed that I was trying, and I needed to hear that. Well, that, that ministry ended after almost five years of stress and, and struggles. And, and honestly, for the whole family, it was one of the most difficult periods in our lives. For me personally, you know, there's as a preacher, there's so much of our identity that is tied up to our role, our, our calling, our job. You know, if, if you're a plumber and you have a bad day, it doesn't affect your plumbing <laughs> all that much. But if you're a preacher, it, it really impacts you. You carry that with you. And so here I was after five miserable years my first full-time ministry, suddenly without a ministry, I, I had been fired uh, nicely enough, but I had been fired. And, and my, in my heart, it was, well, did God fire me? Have I been fired from my calling? Because all of my life, I had this intense desire to preach and to teach and to, to, to work with churches. And suddenly I was without a church. So was I wrong, was the question. Was I wrong about that calling? I felt like a failure. This wasn't what I had envisioned. This wasn't how it was supposed to work out. And I thought to myself, life isn't fair. We've, we've all been there. Those moments when life just doesn't seem fair. Maybe, maybe you're there right now. The, the job doesn't work out. The relationship doesn't work out. The marriage doesn't work out go to the doctor and the news that he's got is not the news that you wanted to hear. There's a, a difficult diagnosis and suddenly you're left with the feeling, this wasn't my plan. This wasn't what I wanted. This isn't what I counted on. Life isn't fair. And then to top it all off, some guy like me stands up in front of you and says, thrive. <laughs> you have to thrive in your faith. And you want to tell him to stick that thriving thing in his ear. Because you don't want to hear it. How on earth 
Do you thrive in a situation like that? In looking through 1 Peter, I think we find some answers. For, for Peter's, for the readers that he, that he wrote this letter to, life didn't go as they had planned either. They were exiles, which means they were homeless. At the very least, they were countryless. So, so life hadn't gone the way they thought. And again and again, all through this letter, Peter tells us that they are suffering. And he, he speaks of their sufferings. They were suffering for their faith. And Peter never promises them that life is going to get easier. He never promises that it's going to be fair. Instead, over and over again, he calls them to look to Jesus, to trust in Him, even when life is falling apart. And what he shows us is thriving Thriving when life falls apart means thriving like Jesus. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 today, verses 18 through 25. If you're using those Bibles, again, it's page 1015. And you guys know me well enough. I'm never going to come to you with easy answers. I'm never going to come to you with, with glib answers. I, I can promise you it's not always easy. I can promise you life is not always fair. And too often life is anything but fair. But I can tell you that there's something worth holding on to. And I find that something worth holding on to in the words of this book. And I find that in, in the Bible. So when life isn't fair, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do to thrive when life isn't fair. The very first thing that Peter calls us to here, when life isn't fair, he says, number one, be mindful of God. Be mindful of God. As Peter moves from chapter 2 to chapter 3, he's going to look at different groups within society, different groups within the church. This week, he's looking at slaves and their relationships with their masters. Next week, he looks at husbands and their relationships with their wives. So, Husbands and wives, slaves and masters, not the same thing. That's the one thing you need to pick up on right there. But next week we'll look at husbands and wives and their relationships. I always feel compelled to remind you whenever we address slavery from the Bible that slavery in biblical times is not at all comparable to slavery as we saw it in recent history, as we saw racial slavery in, in American history. It is not the same thing, and very often... People who try to, uh, try to twist the Bible their way will say, well, the Bible supports slavery. Well, the Bible is not talking about the kind of slavery that we experience. Unfortunately, people tried to make it sound that way, but it, it's not the same thing. It was not a matter of, of racial slavery. It was not a matter of oppression. Very often, slavery or servanthood in the Bible was actually voluntary. People would sell themselves into slavery in order to get ahead. In life, that sounds strange, but they would. It, you would sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. You would sell yourself into slavery to learn a new trade. This is something that I know will surprise the teachers in our crowd. But teachers in the first century were slaves. Totally different than today, isn't it? You know, they were bought by wealthy families to train their children, and that's how a teacher learned his trade, and that's how he continued his, his work by selling himself into slavery over and over again. So these were exiles that Peter's writing to. They are exiles. 
and I would wonder if in order to survive, did some of them have to sell themselves into slavery? Did some of them have to become servants in order to survive in this country where they didn't belong, in this place where they were exiles? And so Peter lets them know that in this new situation, life isn't always fair. So what are they to do? He says in verse, he says in verse 18, servants or slaves... Be subject to your masters with all respect, not just to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is gracious. This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. When things aren't going our way, when things aren't going our way, very often the first temptation is to forget that God is still God. When things seem to be falling apart, when life gets difficult, one of the first temptations for us is to forget that God is still God. When things seem out of control, when life throws us a curve, when our plans fail, we let go of the one being who promises to be a constant in our lives. A constant source of, of love, a constant source of direction, the one who can provide peace beyond the circumstances that we are going through. The only being in the universe about which you can quote that verse, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That brings a lot of comfort and a lot of peace, but it also brings some confusion because we seldom see those purposes. We seldom know what those purposes are. When we can't see the purpose, we can still trust in His presence. When we can't see the purpose, we can still trust in His presence. He is there. We've had a lot of, a lot of people struggling with different things in our community, in our, in our church in the last few months. We've had a sickness, we've had some accidents, we've had a lot of different issues that have come up in the last few months, and I've had a lot of opportunities to sit and pray with people. And several times in your lives, I have found myself praying, Lord, we didn't see this coming. Lord, we, we didn't see this coming. This took us completely by surprise. This is not what we planned for. But nothing surprises Nothing surprises you. You are still God. Help us to hold on to you when we can't see where it is you're taking us. Peter says in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He says it is a, a gracious thing. Some of your Bibles say it is commendable. I think what the phrase really means for us is it shows you get it. It shows that you have understood. You understand it's not all about you. It's not all about your comfort. It's not all about getting what you want. It's about trusting the one being who knows you when life is falling apart. And just because things aren't going your way, you're not going to toss Him to the side. Be mindful of God. The second encouragement that we can find here to thrive when life isn't fair, is to look to the model of Jesus. Be mindful of God. 
That is a reminder for us that He does not change. That He never changes. The God that we knew yesterday is the God that we know today. The God we knew before this horrible thing happened in our life is the same God that we know now. He doesn't change. Look to the model of Jesus is a reminder that we're probably going to have to change. <laughs> we're probably going to have to change our understanding and we're going to change the way that we, uh, that we look at these circumstances. We're probably going to have to change our attitudes. We're probably going to have to change uh, the way we look at other people, the way we look at the circumstances in front of us. Mostly it means we're going to have to change our hearts. That if we're going to thrive, we're going to have to thrive like Jesus. Peter goes on in, in verse 20. And he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten, you endure? What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, you, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Now again, the context of this, of this section is slavery. But the application is something much broader than just that limited experience of slavery. Under slavery, there was always the possibility that the master would be harsh with you. That you would suffer unjustly. And there was no recourse for that. There was no legal system to protect a, a slave from being uh, treated unjustly. And so, you could run away. <laughs> that would just get you in more trouble. That would cause more problems for you. And so instead, Peter purposefully relates their suffering to the suffering of Jesus. And in verse 20, he talks about being beaten. You know, Peter, it's believed that, that Peter is the one who shared his story of Jesus with Mark. And so the, the Gospel of Mark is written from Peter's perspective. Peter uses the word there. The word that he uses there for being beaten is to be struck with the fist. And it's the exact same word that Mark uses when he described the beating that Jesus took the night before His crucifixion, that He was struck with the fist. And I can't help but think that that's on purpose. Uh, that the, the point is to connect your suffering, the suffering of these people were going through, with the suffering that Jesus had gone through. That they were being beaten just as Jesus had been be beaten. There's a version of the Bible, a paraphrase really, called The Message. I know some of you enjoy The Message. I enjoy reading The Message. It was put together by a man named Eugene Peterson. In this section in the message, it says, this is the kind of life you've been invited into. The kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came His way so that you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. I, I love that. I think it's news to us. I don't think we're used to hearing that. I mean, usually we say, well, yeah, Jesus suffered and that Jesus endured. We get that, but we always stop and think, well, yeah, but he's Jesus. What else is he going to do? You know, he, he, of course he's going to suffer and endure. That's, that's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He can do that. But Peter is saying, Jesus did it to show us that it could be done. Jesus suffered 
so that we could see that we could hold up under suffering. And he shows us how to do it step by step. What does it look like to thrive like Jesus? If we're going to do it step by step, that first step is that call to deny yourself, take up your cross, and to follow Him. And you realize right there, when someone says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, you're not following them to a happy place. You're not going to someplace fun when you're carrying a cross. You're going to your death. That's not something we want to hear. We want to hear God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That plan includes a cross. That plan includes death to self. And another step of following Him is there in verse 23. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. I feel like I need to explain something in that verse. Very often when we are suffering and and I know in my own life, there have been periods of times when people have come against me on certain things. And, and there, there was this idea that, well, like the lamb before the shearer or the slaughter is silent, we remain silent. That we don't defend ourselves. That's not at all what it's saying there. He's not saying you're a doormat for anyone who wants to accuse you of anything, that you just sit there and take it silently. That's not at all what he says. He says, when he was reviled, that means insulted, He did not insult back. When he was attacked physically, he did not physically attack back. Instead, he entrusted himself to God. It doesn't mean that that, that we lay down and just say, walk all over me all you want, I'm a doormat. No, it means we don't meet evil with evil. We don't meet evil and oppression with more oppression. He says he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. There is one who judges justice. That should either fill you with peace or absolutely terrify you. One or the other. You're either going to be filled with peace knowing that God judges justly or it could absolutely terrify you. Look to the model of Jesus. Thrive like Jesus. You're going to thrive when life isn't fair? Be mindful of God? Look to the model of Jesus. And the third thing, maintain your connection to the flock. I've seen a great number of people who in times of difficulty, times that were very challenging, found faith. I've seen a great number of people who in those difficult times took comfort and support from the local body of believers, the local church. Church becomes a priority because the relationships that they build here uh, have seen them through those difficulties. But I've also probably known an equal number of people who when life gets hard, when life is unfair, when there's a difficulty, they simply leave church behind during that time. And they will say, well, I'm too busy. They will say, I've got no time for going to church. I've got no time for church and those relationships. Once the crisis is over, we'll be back. And to be quite honest with you, very few of them ever come back. In verses 24 and 25, Peter writes of our connection to Jesus as sheep to a shepherd. Sheep to a shepherd. We love hearing that. We love that image of Jesus with the one little sheep. (laughs) The, The little sheep in His arms, the 
carrying the lamb. But what we forget is it's not about one sheep, it's about a flock. It's about the, the whole flock. And a relationship with Jesus as shepherd means a relationship with other Christians within the flock, within the church. It's within the flock that we find safety. It's within the flock that we find comfort. We find peace. And it's within the flock that the shepherd can properly care for us. The shepherd never goes off and feeds a sheep way over here because that sheep doesn't want anything to do with the rest of them. The shepherd brings that sheep into the flock and feeds them together. There are no lone sheep. If you have lone sheep, you're a very bad shepherd. Okay? within the flock that the shepherd can care for us. And it is so damaging. It's so damaging to us in those moments when life is unfair, when the trials hit, when the troubles hit, if we put church to the side and say, I'll do that later. Peter says in verse 22, or to me, verse 24, he says of Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter's doing an amazing job there. of He's welding several Scriptures together. He's taking this Scripture here and this one over here and bringing these Scriptures all together and he's He's welding them all together to make one very important point, one very important truth. He talks about how He bore our sins on the tree. He's pulling that out of Deuteronomy where we're told, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus took that curse, the curse of our sins, and He, he crucified them on the cross. He, he, he put those to death on the tree. Then He says, by His wounds you are healed. He's taking that from Isaiah 53, verse 5 where Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant, the Savior, and the scourging that he received, the whipping he received, and says, by his wounds, by the stripes of the whip, you have been healed. But here, Peter is specifically tying that idea of being healed to verse 25, where he says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You have been healed. You have returned. What Jesus has healed us from is our tendency to wander. What we have been healed from is our tendency to abandon the flock when things are difficult. When we want to run over here, run over there, we don't have to run away from the flock. Jesus has healed us of that tendency to wander. That's something that shepherds had to do with sheep. They had to fix it so they, they wouldn't wander off. There's a story preachers like to tell. And I'm going to tell you up front, it's not true. <laughs> Every now and then we tell stories just because they're really good stories. Sometimes they're not always true. And I want to warn you that this is not actually a true story. This is one of those it's kind of like an urban myth, you know? It's one of those kind of things. Preacher a long time ago first started this little story about how shepherds keep their sheep from wandering if a shepherd has a sheep. But I'll tell you what, it's, a, it's not true, but boy, it'll preach. It'll preach, you know? It, you really get into this story. 
a shepherd has a sheep that just continually wanders, the story is that the shepherd will pick that little lamb up in his arms and he cradles that lamb and he strokes the lamb that it just keeps wandering away. He strokes it. He makes it feel nice and, and at peace. And he takes a hold of the lamb's leg. And while he's holding it, he does this. And he breaks that lamb's leg. Not a true story. Stay with me. And while the lamb is, is crying and in so much pain, the shepherd will just lay it down and, and walk away. And the lamb lays there in its pain and in its loneliness, and it feels that aloneness, and it feels the, the pain of its loneliness for the first time. And then the, the shepherd comes back, and he scoops the lamb up, and he sets the bone, and he puts that lamb on his shoulders, and he carries it until the sheep is healed. And so while the sheep is on his shoulder, I mean, if you've got a lot of sheep that wandered, that's a lot of sheep. You're going you know, to break a lot of legs, you're going to be carrying a lot of sheep. That's a lot of work. Puts the sheep on his shoulders, and as the as the shepherd speaks, the, the lamb not only hears his voice, but he feels the vibrations against his against his body. The, <clears throat> the shepherd begins to care for that sheep. He, he feeds it by hand, and by the time the sheep is healed, he puts it down. It's able to walk again. It will never wander away again, because it's come to know the love of the shepherd. Now, I told that story to my wife the other night. <clears throat> and in the way that only Trish can do, she sat there and thought for a minute. And she said, are you telling me that God breaks our legs? And I said, I had to think to myself, because my, my thought is, well, if, if she's asking that, then you guys are going to ask that too. Is God out there breaking people's legs? How do you answer that? What I told her and what I want to tell you is if the pain you're experiencing, if the pain doesn't draw you close to the shepherd, then you've forgotten what a shepherd is for. If the pain doesn't draw you back to the shepherd, you've forgotten what a shepherd is for. If the pain doesn't draw you into the flock, you've forgotten what the flock is for. And you have rendered that pain meaningless. You have stolen any hope, any meaning from that pain. The job of a shepherd is not to break the sheep's legs. The job is to keep the sheep safe. To be safe, they need to be in His presence. Where do they find His presence? With the flock. There are times when we go through some huge difficulties. There are times when we feel very lost and we feel very alone. And I can't stand up here and promise you that all your plans are going to work out just the way you want. I can't promise you that your life will be perfect. But I can promise you that if in those times when life isn't fair, you will do these three things. One, you'll be mindful of God that just because your circumstances has changed, just because your feelings have changed, just because the hurt that you're going through is bigger than anything you've ever been through before, God is still God. He has not changed. He has not moved away from you. He has not abandoned you. He is still God. Number one, be mindful of God. Number two, look to the model and follow the model of Jesus. 
denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Him. And number three, maintain that connection to the flock. If you will do those three things, you will amaze yourself when you come out on the other side of that pain. When you come out on the other side of that struggle. There's a song that Alana is going to come and share with us in just a couple of minutes to lead us into our communion time. The song is called Never Once, and it has, a, has an amazing message. I'm not going to sing it, but I want you to hear these words. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us, kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. It's a beautiful song with an amazing message. You don't experience that. You don't experience that kind of faith without scars and struggles on the way. Without plans that don't work out. Without troubles that are greater than you. You don't truly experience the presence of the shepherd or the presence of the flock. Until you've been through those hurts. This table is a reminder. It's not a weekly reminder. We do it every week. It's not a weekly reminder. It's a daily reminder. It is a moment-by-moment -moment reminder that never once did we ever walk alone. You are faithful, God. You are faithful.